Hello and welcome to the Folk Music Podcast. My name is Anders and this is the 10th episode of the show, which is a bit of a milestone. And now I'm not going to take too much time out of today's episode um, congratulating myself for this achievement, but I just want to say that it has been a great journey so far and um, I'm really happy to see that my number of listeners seems to be growing slowly but steadily. Um, which gives me great encouragement to keep doing this. And it's also really, really great to get messages or emails from you guys um, with feedback uh, and ideas for future episodes. I find that one of the biggest differences between doing something like YouTube uh, and podcasts is that with a podcast, there's no um, immediate response from the audience which uh, makes it a bit tricky sometimes to to really gauge the the response um so uh, yeah i'm always grateful for uh for feedback from you guys so thanks and thanks for listening now today's guest is uh, emma mcfilmy emma is the musical director of riverdance um the wildly popular uh, dance show that's originated in the mid 90s and turned out to be one of Ireland's greatest musical exports ever and it introduced the whole world to uh, Celtic music and um, it's been on the road for more than 25 years so uh, it's uh, it's truly a legendary show at this point uh, and I've always been a big fan of uh, the Riverdance show um, it's just something about the, that whole mixture of uh, Celtic music with jazz and uh, sort of uh, Eastern European rhythms in <laughs> this kind of 90s over-the-top kind of way. <laughs> um, so um, yeah, it was great ha- having um, Emma on talking about her role as the musical director, like how she works with the show, uh, what her uh, responsibilities are, and it was nice getting uh, a glimpse into that world, so to speak. And um, and we also got into a very interesting uh, discussion about classical music because Emma is trained as a classical saxophone player. And um, yeah, I think um, many young classical musicians today are kind of looking for their identity or how, how classical music fits in to today's world. Um, and many of them are uh, also working with different genres and sort of trying to redefine this whole uh, this whole idea, I think. And Emma is definitely a good example of this. So I really think you'll enjoy uh, listening to our take on this topic. Now, this wasn't something I had planned to talk about, but that's kind of the beauty of the podcast conversation, I think, that you never really know where it will take you. So um, without further ado, here is my conversation with Emma McPhillamy. Okay, so I'm here with Emma McPhillamy. Thanks for coming on the show. No problem, thanks for having me. Uh, Now, I think I discovered you uh, first through uh, the Riverdance show. Uh, where you're the musical director. 
Mm-hmm. Um, but then I started following you on Instagram as well, and I'm really impressed by the stuff that you're doing over there. Um, oh, thank you. <laughs> you seem to be able to move between different genres quite effortlessly, effortlessly without losing your uh, voice, so to speak, which mm-hmm. is uh, something I talk about a lot because I think it's important for musicians to, especially these days when we're expected to work with all these different things, yeah. um, that we don't lose like um, our voice yeah uh, and i think you're doing a great job oh thanks very much <laughs> so the the main thing i wanted to to talk about today is um is your role in the riverdance show um because i'm a huge fan <laughs> of the riverdance uh, <laughs> show and i've been been a fan of that show for way longer than i've been into folk music oh, wow. in a way in a way that's kind of my first meeting with folk music so to speak Okay. Um, so I'm quite envious of your of your gig there. Of <laughs> the role. <laughs> um, and uh, could also be interesting hearing about your uh, experiences as uh, a musician with a classical background, which I'm guessing you have. Yes. Um, yeah. Working in all of these different realms that you're doing. Mm-hmm. Uh, but before we go into any of that, uh, why don't you quickly introduce yourself and um, and tell us about your musical background? Sure, okay. Um, So I started playing saxophone when I was 12. I initially played flute first, I think I was seven. And I took to it really quickly um, and really, really enjoyed doing music at school and at college. And my teacher suggested I audition for a music college, like a performance degree, which I had no idea existed. I had no idea about that you could even do performance as a main study at university or anything. No. So I auditioned for two colleges, n- not thinking that I would get a place. It was just to, to see what would happen. And I got into um, the Royal Northern College of Music, which is one of the best in the country for saxophone. I had no idea. I didn't know the, the teacher. I didn't know anything about music college. Just walked in completely blind and just played how I played, you know. And um, they offered but- me a place and I studied there for Four years, and I did an extra year. Um, like That's a in Manchester, is it? After that, yeah, in Manchester, yeah. Oh. And um, yeah, I just loved it, and you know, I had no prior knowledge of like advanced technique on the instrument or anything. So I just absorbed all the information that they were giving me with no kind of ideas of my own, and then was able to build on that. And yeah, and then I got my first river dance gig in my third year of college, out of four years undergrad. Oh really? So I was kind of gigging from about. 20 age of 21 in a, in a professional sense hmm. but uh but but your course that would be all classical music right yeah i mean they had uh big bands and stuff and um like a pop session orchestras and things and you could kind of get involved in those but it was the main focus really was classical so yeah i was building on classical technique and repertoire and things um throughout the degree what about folk music did you have any experience with that prior to to the river dance thing no, no experience of any folk music. Nope. <laughs> so I literally was dropped in the deep end with that one. <laughs> Great. So then I'm curious about how did you land the gig? So um, I was playing in an orchestra in college and the conductor heard me play and his friend, um, I think a friend of his was working with someone in the office of the show and knew that they were looking for a, a saxophone player. Um, so he put my name forward and I got this random email from the office of, of the show and I thought it was a joke because uh, <laughs> I was young. I didn't know. And I thought, oh gosh, 
seems too too good too to be good. true. Yeah. yeah. And then I spoke to my teacher, and he said, "No, Emma, that's real. You need to reply." <laughs> <laughs> so I was like, "Oh gosh, okay." So I re- responded and um, sent in an audition tape. And I think there were three of us that auditioned, and I got a phone call saying, "You've got the gig. You you need to come to Dublin in two weeks. Please memorize the whole show." So huh. I was like, "Oh my goodness!" So I had to just get out of college for that whole time, postpone all my exams and um, memorize the whole show in, in two weeks. <laughs> oh, sounds great and terrifying. It was a lot. Yeah, it was scary. <laughs> no, I feel like we, uh, before we go into the details of this, we should maybe um, let people know what Riverdance is if they don't, mm-hmm. if they're not familiar with it, because I think that the word Riverdance conjures up images in many people's mind but they yeah. don't necessarily know what it is because I think many people think that that's the name of traditional Irish dance yes uh, which it is not it's it's the no. name of a, of a show um, mm-hmm. that originated in well please arrest me if I'm saying anything wrong but I think it started <laughs> as an interval act uh, for the Eurovision Song Contest back in 1994 yeah. Uh, yeah where Irish composer Bill Whelan was commissioned to um, to make a piece of music um in which they they made it into sort of a theatrical dance uh, performance, which yeah. had like elements of Irish traditional music, but also elements of a bunch of other things like mm-hmm. Eastern European music, pop music, classical music, uh, and yes. it was a huge success. Uh, so they decided to take it on the road, and I think it's been on the road ever since. Yeah, this was the twenty fifth year now. This year was supposed to be the twenty fifth year of the, the tour. Yeah. Yeah. Huh. Um, and how long have you been with the show at this point? Um, this would have been my fourth year with the show. I joined in 2016, so just after I turned 21. Huh. Mm. That's, <laughs> that's impressive. But I'm guessing <laughs> you didn't start out as musical director. Yeah, I did, actually. You yeah, did? My, yeah. <laughs> so there were four um, four of us girls in the band in 2016, and... Um, I was actually the youngest out of all four of us and I got pulled into the office and they said, would you take on the role of, of musical director for this touring? Because uh, there's two tours usually. There's a normally one that goes to America and then one that will do like the UK or China or, you know. But is it two, two, two different crews or is it the same people doing both tours? Um, yeah, two different kind of sub companies. I see. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I was asked to, to direct the this tour so that was huh. a quite a big responsibility yeah. <laughs> for my first gig <laughs> so uh h- how big uh how big is the band these days because like uh i mean i've seen the the videos of the the shows from the 90s and it's mm-hmm. like 20 people in the band or something like that yeah i'm guessing um, you don't necessarily have the budget for that anymore but i don't know yeah there's now four of us so mm. um there's a fiddle player uh, soprano sax and then Irish instruments so pipes whistle concertina um, and drum kit and that's it yeah mm-hmm. but I'm guessing you have some stuff on tracks as well yeah the orchestral tracks are are playing out front and obviously we have in-ears as well so yeah it doesn't and feel like that bare or anything <laughs> no but are you responsible for anything to do with the, with the tracks or do you just uh, like deal with the musicians uh, um, or, 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 or sorry, sorry uh, I'm rephrasing the question. What is what exactly is your role as a musical director of the show? 
So I basically had to manage the band and just make sure, you know, because every venue we get in, we obviously have to sound check, check levels, um, call rehearsals, the beginning of tours and things and make sure that everyone's doing their bit properly. I'll often um, be backstage if I'm not on stage at the time and listen to everyone's mixes just to make sure that they're hearing what they need to hear. Um, and just to make sure that the quality of, of performance and and, you know, the music is up to a good standard. Mm. Um, and I'm also the kind of uh, middle man, if you like. So the band ask me or if they need anything, they'll talk to me and then I'll talk to management or, you know what I mean, if it's just, yeah. So I'd be the head of department in terms of the band. And there's various heads of departments with dancing and, you know, tech and front of house and things like that. So, yeah, we have meetings and things. So mostly just communication and making sure everyone's okay. <laughs> mm, cool. Do you have any like artistic freedom when it comes to the music itself or is that just like kind of set in stone in a way? Um, I do have some. I mean, I because I've played with quite a few different um, members, band members now, and um, I, I communicate with, with Bill Whelan as well, like regularly when the tour's oh, he's, happening. Oh, he's, he's still in, in the... He's still Definitely. involved in the show. Oh, that's great. Yeah. Um, so he'll, you know, he'll pop in and see the show. And if he wants to make any changes, he'll speak to me and then I'll, you know, tell, tell the guys. Um, but hmm. yeah, in terms of uh, improvisation and stuff, if I particularly like the way someone's played something or maybe the opposite, then I can, they kind of trust me to, to make the judgment there and, and make the calls. Um, but yeah, we do get quite a lot of freedom in terms of soloing and stuff, you know, improvising a fairly big part of the show as well. So yeah, yeah that's nice. Hmm, cool. And, uh, and like, it's not easy music to play. It's fairly it's challenging not. stuff. Yeah. It's, um, there's a lot of notes, a lot of notes and it's fast. Yeah. Fast. And also like a lot of meter, different meters as well. Like, I mean, I, I play a bit of, or a fair bit of Irish music myself, mm. but uh, which is challenging in itself. But at least it's the, it's usually in four four time or six eights or something like that. But in Riverdance, yeah. Bill Willen, he he wrote a lot of stuff in five four and and seven and all uh -huh. of those. Like I, th I think he got inspired by Eastern European rhythms and, and yeah. he kind of blended everything together to a to a really cool thing. But sounds very sounds very difficult. <laughs> it is. I mean, you know, obviously the. The amount of times I've I've played the show and you know it becomes just a second nature. But of course, yeah. At the beginning, it's I mean, there's obviously a lot of repetition and things, but it's um it's a lot of notes and yeah, the changing time signatures and kind of emphasizing specific beats and just making sure that you're super tight in with the track can mm. be quite challenging for sure, especially if you're new. Yeah, yeah, and also like playing with the track that's that's not that easy in itself, like. Uh, yeah, because if you just a group of musicians playing live, you can always like find your adapt. But when there's a track, you need to be like one hundred percent all the time. I mean, you're either there or you're not. No. <laughs> you know. <laughs> um, but you know the, the the sound guys are great, and you all have your own mix, and and um, we have a lot of practice time and things. You know, so it it is good, and it feels kind of like a safety thing as well because you know, not that we ever do but if you f you fall off a little bit you can jump back in and it's it's no problem no hmm. so uh like so you've been with the show for four years ha ha yeah ha have anything changed over those four years like this is you said this was the 25th anniversary mm -hmm. are, we, are we changing things up for the anniversary yeah so um we actually well 
there was a album, twenty fifth album released of, of oh, really? the whole show music kind of revamped and and it included loads of musicians that have been with the show over the last twenty five years. Um, and I was lucky enough to feature on that and and do kind of the, the main solo parts um, on sax. I went over to Bill's studio in Connemara um, and we recorded a load of tracks there, um, which was released in December. And they've now used that soundtrack as the new um, soundtrack on stage. So it's hmm. weird. I'm like playing with myself in my yeah. ears. <laughs> Um, so that's changed and the set's completely modernised. Costume changes, um, you know, the band has changed members over the four years since I've been there. Mm. Um, so, yeah, there is, there's quite a lot that, that kind of changes and, and it's always... Because I would know, think that to keep a show on the road for that long, you kind of need to make some changes. Yeah. Because when I, when I watch the video, like the live things from, from the 90s, it, it looks very 90s. Yeah, <laughs> with yeah. the cos- costumes and also and the backdrops, they they were yeah, oh, very um, very much, yeah, very much like it looks yeah. like a Eurovision Song Contest from the nineties. Yeah, I mean they had like still images <laughs> at the back per mm. track in the show, but now they have like the whole back of the um, stage is like a big LED screen and it's like um, HD images that like move around and things and yeah, yes, yeah. so it's it's like the lights are blinding like it's it's so modern now mm. hmm. cool i hope i get a chance to see it at some point yeah definitely it's worth watching so um, but i'm guessing you're not touring much at the moment no so i was supposed to be on the road i would have just finished finished up this year in um in belgium literally probably i think it was a couple of days ago i would have been finished but we managed um we did the 25th anniversary show in the three arena in dublin in February and then um, the SSE in Belfast and we managed one week of the UK tour which was supposed to be 15 weeks and then we were sent home and that yeah. was it <laughs> pretty weird eh mm, yeah it was and I'm, and I'm guessing they haven't scheduled like there's no plan they, they don't know when when they can get back on the road um, well there's actually the UK tour has, is online and it's been rescheduled for next August okay. um, so I mean you know that's it's nice for us to have a goal to sort of work towards with getting back on tour but I guess you just don't know do you with, with no. what's going on but but has the show been your like main like your full-time gig basically or um no not really I it was only recently that because a lot of the talk because they took a year or two out to revamp everything and then kind of put everyone back on the road and it was going to be for, for quite a while mm-hmm. um so the last couple of years i've done probably one tour every year ish um to china to i did the uk i've done various bits in uh dublin and other parts of ireland um and so yeah, I, I would do that probably once or twice a year, but then otherwise I'd I'd be doing loads of other things like, you know, gigging in a pop style or classical recitals, teaching, concertos. So yeah, it's there's loads of different bits that I hmm. do. It's not that's not my main focus, if you see what I mean. Yeah, I see. Just to ju- jump all over the place, like I mean, you have a classical background. Mm-hmm. Um but as I said, you seem to be able to move quite easily between different genres. Which I, I mean, I know a lot of classical musicians that don't do that at all. Yeah. Uh, why do you think that you're able to to work with all these different genres? Is it has it always been there, or? Uh... Um, I 
school, I was always, I never mind, I, I was always keen to get up and do a solo, even if it was terrible. Mm. And I could always play quite fast. So I would always sort of be the one at the front, like giving it some, even if it was rubbish. <laughs> but I had the confidence just to yeah, yeah, put which myself is important, out there. Yeah. Um, which is good as a young kid, I think. Um, mm. But... Yeah, I, I kind of sidelined it all. I mean, I when I was at university, I was classical and that was that. And I I felt I'm quite ambitious in that I could kind of, I, I put myself in like five years time, where did I want to be? And I wanted to be a classical soloist and that was in my in my brain. So I made sure I did whatever I needed to do in mm. terms of improve technique and expand your repertoire, I commission composers, because I knew that was all part of it um, to get to that point. Mm-hmm. And um, I did, and and then I thought, oh, I do need to make money as well. And there's not a great, you know, unless you're really high flying and um, I don't know, like a saxophone professor at a university or a conservatoire or something like that. You know, you, you have to teach really, and you have to. Well, yeah, gig. because because like it's a bit tricky with classical saxophone, right? Because there's not yeah. that many gigs. Like if you're a violin player, there's always an orchestra you could apply for. But the sax, like you kind of need to be a soloist or a part of a yeah or successful saxophone group or something yeah like a chamber group yeah mm. um and yeah so I, I at this time at the you know i needed money and so i thought all right well i need to i need to do some pop gigs and stuff so i remember buying a mouthpiece which is like you know the pop sort of sound because you, okay. you swap mouthpieces depending on what style you're playing and uh, i just started gigging and and as every gig i got better and more confident with improvising and picked up some teaching and yeah it kind of came from there and then with my platform online I was very much this is my classical soloist platform and you know I would do like practice videos or or tutorials or whatever and over lockdown especially you know I listen to classical music but it's Mm -hmm. not what I mainly listen to you know I listen to folk and that's come through influences from the show from meeting other trad Mm -hmm. musicians and stuff um so I thought, why would I suppress all these other interests just to keep that, you know, to pigeonhole myself? So I thought, no, okay, break it all down, do whatever you want, whatever you enjoy. Okay, so you're, say, so you're saying that prior to the lockdown thing, your your um, social platforms was mainly classical? Yeah. But now you kind of, uh, now you're experimenting with all kinds, all sorts of stuff? Yeah. And yeah. h- how's the response been from like your followers and people who who are on your pages? It's been good. Um, I kind of I've been putting out some um, like I guess folk fusion stuff, and that's gone. That's become quite popular. Um, especially you know if I do covers of, of more folk folky bands and stuff, that they, they've really enjoyed watching kind of my spin on on their music. If you see what I mean, mm. and um, sax players who are classical have sort of seen it and got in touch and said that it is refreshing to see someone that has studied classical because I didn't really study jazz or pop or folk or anything. No. But, you know, I think if your ears are good enough and and you know what sound you want to make, mm. you know, you can open yourself up to so many different genres. And I think it's it gives people like um, more of a push to, to do it themselves um, and to not be so stuck into one one area. Yeah, so I mean, it definitely seems like you're able to inspire a lot of sax players. From what I I see um, uh, that you're doing with uh, your your challenge uh, and stuff. Yeah. Do you want to talk a bit about that? Because you're recording sure. an album as well, aren't you? 
Yeah, we are. Um, so, uh, so it's with a composer named Jenny Watson, and she um, she wrote me a piece, like a classical recital piece, for a performance I gave last year, um, and from that, you know, I recorded bits of it, and and people have been like, what what is this piece? You know, who is this composer? And I said to her, um, we should release your music and and I was planning to record it live because I have a duo partner who's a pianist and um we were going to do video recordings and put them online but obviously then lockdown happened so we couldn't do that so I said to her right well you know no you, people need to know of you your music's brilliant let's make demo videos and release them online and you record a backing track rather than get a pianist so that people can have access to the music and practice and perform it with you know whilst being on their own but they have all these different instruments going on so it's like a fun practice tool if you see what I mean um and then I said well also why don't we make it more of an online community so you record your video you upload it you use the hashtag we've created which is lock the sacks down and then they're all in one place and everyone can watch all these different videos and loads of people got involved from all over the world and um yeah it's become quite popular so we've had to churn out these demos every week and pick a bit of music to make available for free and because of the responses we thought right well we should make a cd so we're going to put all these tracks and, and do them professionally um and release them as an album so you know if anything it's a nice thing to come out of lockdown with a cd and a nice project yeah great like it's pretty smart marketing move as well (laughs) (laughs) yeah i didn't really think of it like that i just thought well she needs to get her music out there people need to hear it Mm. you know and i've seen i've actually seen um some irish dancers do um you know they create a step or a routine and then they share it and then people put their videos on and I thought oh you know we could do something like that with with music and saxophones so that was where the idea sort of came from mm. cool when will the album be uh, released you think before the end of the year mm. definitely yeah cool mm. so what else have you been up to during lockdown I have been, what have I been doing? I've been doing a little bit of online teaching. Um, and what's nice about that is, you know, you can teach anywhere in the world. So I've been teaching some um, young students in America. and um, We're so yeah, lucky to have the internet, aren't we? I know, I like, know. Like ima- I, I don't know Im- Im- imagine it, it. Yeah, like imagine if this happened back in 1992 or something. <laughs> I mean, we are lucky. Like, you know, at least we're not isolated or cut off from you know, all our musical friends and things, you know, you can still get some inspiration um, Mm. online. Um, And now gyms are open. So I've enjoyed being back in the gym because I I really miss that. It's, I think it's important to keep active and stuff. And yeah, I live in the countryside, so I'm lucky that I could be going for walks and things. And Mm. yeah, just really, to be honest, finding new styles of music and playing in loads of different styles and, getting into sort of folk and jazz pop and things like that so yeah it's it's been actually really good to hone in on different skills over this time mm, yeah I, th- I think if you're able to actually use this time in a productive way like for me it's been sort of a good period but i've always mm. been the sort of guy who like i'm able to like keep myself occupied you know what i mean like start my okay. own projects and you seem to be a similar type as well like with your yeah all your projects Mm. Uh, but I know that many people they kind of depend on outside 
they need to be brought into projects. Yeah. Um, so I, I think they many of those people might have a hard time these days, but... Yeah, definitely. I mean, is this like a is this podcast been going on over over lockdown? Was it a lockdown no, it's, project? No, it's it's or? it's a, it's definitely it's a result of the lockdown. Yeah. Yeah. See, because, it's good, isn't it? You come up with these ideas and yeah, you yeah. have time normally to do it. No, no, because I've, I've been thinking about it for a long time. But as you say, you never have time to do these things. Mm-hmm. But now I had time. Yeah. Um, so. Um, now the million dollar question: How do I get the gig at uh, the River Dance show? <laughs> do, do, do they do like auditions for the musicians, or do you have to know someone? Do you know? I think it's a bit of both, really. Um, if they're looking for a you know fiddle player or sax player, I think they normally ask close contacts, or you know, if if they needed someone and I knew of someone, then I could suggest someone. You know. Um, it's usually how it goes. So it's just how it goes. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah, it's it's Which, definitely. I'm definitely very grateful for the opportunity with the show for sure. I mean, and I don't know. Do you, how do you do much improvising and you're playing and stuff? Yeah, I, I have a background as a jazz musician. Actually, that's that's my education. Oh wow! So you studied jazz as in undergrad level. Uh, I'm not exactly sure what undergrad means, but I, I have a bachelor's degree in jazz yeah. improvisation. So that's kind of my musical education oh wow before, uh, and so how did that kind of develop into what you do now well i i'm not even sure what i'm doing now but it's a it's a long story but like for some some reason i just got tired of jazz uh, really? and just quit playing altogether and then i discovered folk music and moved to ireland and kind of just started over completely wow because i mean since I had the, like a good knowledge about jazz. I was like so many other musical genres are based on jazz, right? Mm-hmm. So when you understand jazz, it's kind of easy to go into different sorts of pop and blues and funk, soul, all of these things, yeah. even, hip, even hip hop. But with the folk thing, I had to like start over completely on on scratch. Like that's how it felt yeah. anyway, because the musical language didn't have anything in common with what I already knew. Mm-hmm. but I was just so much in love with the music, so I felt like I had no choice. So I'm kind of in a similar boat like you. I'm, I'm juggling all these different genres and trying to figure out who am I in all this, but uh, that's, that's just how it is. <laughs> so and you like, live in Ireland now? No, uh, I, I spent two years in Galway on the West Coast, mm-hmm. but I'm back in Norway now, so okay, enjoying lockdown here (laughs) yeah i mean it's to be fair i'd be really interested to see how having such a good knowledge of jazz i mean you're saying it's completely different you know you've had to start from scratch but i mean it must give you so much freedom to you know your ears must be pretty good well you know to pick stuff up yeah well i have the uh one thing that helped me is i have a good understanding of harmony because that's that's something I see with uh, especially melody players in folk music, maybe in classical music. I'm not sure, but they they don't feel the chords in the same way that, that I do. Um, especially not folk musicians, but sometimes even classical musicians. Like I've never played in a symphony orchestra, but for me it would be very weird being playing the third on the flute, say, without knowing that I'm playing the third. I'm just playing the notes. On the sh- is, yeah, is, is, so you like is, to know is, where you're sitting in a chord. Yeah, but is that how it feels? Or do you just, as a musician, do you always mm. know your role in, can you feel that you're kind of, now I'm the root in the chord? Or is that, yeah. do, do you don't think that way? I think so. I mean, if I'm sat in an orchestra, 
which is rare because <laughs> um, obviously they do there is some orchestral works that require saxophone mm. uh, I know where I'm where I'm at roughly I mean I I'm, I've got good ears but I wouldn't say you know I knew I'd know if I was tonic or third or whatever mm. but I think yeah as a single line melody musician you you don't I definitely think more melodically in terms of harmonic uh, rather than harmonically mm. um and I would always hear a melody before I heard chords you know mm. um but I always it, I know whether I'm supposed to be prominent in certain places and things in in the show as well you know a lot of the time I'll have harmony or we we do also have the freedom to add harmony yeah. if if I'm playing because a lot of the time I'm playing the same line as the the fiddle mm. sometimes I just add something interesting that's something I else I want to ask you like because all of that that music is is very fiddle based those melodies yeah. it comes from the Irish folk music which is very like fiddle based music is it yeah is, is it challenging playing those runs on the sax the breathing is an issue yeah exactly yeah because you need to breathe at some point yeah I mean you could stand there and circular breathe it but you'd look really weird <laughs> because your cheeks have to puff out and they'd be like is she all right <laughs> yeah you know? yeah um but yeah I mean there's always places that make sense to take a breath but it's it is full on full mm. on and if you don't have cl- I find like I'm lucky that I have classical training to have gone in and had to adapt in a folk style and and you know and there's part there's jazzy bits of it as well um because I have the proper technique to be able to to play for that long and mm. to play that fast and to make an even sound across everything so it it's okay but there are jumps like up the register like you know going from really low this um there's one bit and it's like dun da 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 and you have to go da 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 and on the saxophone that's so hard to do that really low down just because it's so resistant so there are really tricky corners for sure yeah. um but you can kind of make it your own what about or- ornamentation because that's kind of a part of the sound as well isn't it yeah um see that that's something that i've I actually still don't know a lot about, especially in a folk style. Um, I often ask a lot of my friends, is there a specific way you have to do this? You know, the turns and things, or or can you do it in your own way? Um, I still don't really know the answer to that, but I kind of just, you know, each each, each fiddle player does it differently. So it depends Mm. who I'm playing with. But I always tend to think like more of a linear way in that I'm thinking forward and long phrasing. And as long as I'm thinking like that, you know, I can add various inflections if they make sense. But I would, yeah, I would always think of like playing long phrases rather than thinking vertically. Does that make sense? Yeah, because I think a lot of the, a lot of the the tunes, they like not all notes are equal for the mm. melody. Like those notes that you're referring to, like down there, they're kind of just providing some context for the high notes. Uh, yes. In a way, yeah. like at least in many tunes. Yeah, so. and there's bits like you know, obviously the top notes are the main the melody and it's that's hard and and i'm thinking i'm always thinking how do i get an even sound across the whole thing but actually like you're saying those aren't the most important things it's the no. top note that, that should be speaking so yeah it's 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 fun it's it's good to find your way through those things mm. and i mean that's that's one thing going back to like difference between genres that's one thing i i learned through folk music to really pay attention to the melody mm. because since i was such a harmonic uh, like uh, harmony um, focused musician 
before I got into folk. It was mm-hmm. nice to work with a type of music that is mainly melodic. Yeah. Um, um, yeah. I mean, in Irish music, there are no chords really traditionally. That's kind of a new, newish invention. Yeah. Because um, there's with- lots of. Um, I always find it really fascinating. Well, yeah. When I see like groups of musicians, and this may sound really weird to you, but for me, it's it's, it's quite impressive because I I would never have done this. You know, you, you can get together and just play a session mm. and go and you know vibe off each other and just just do it Mm. and unless you're i guess a jazzer so you would know you can kind of do that if you're jamming with a group of people but classical people classical musicians oh my goodness you you drop a couple of those people in with that group and they would be lost they would have no idea what to do how to respond you know no it's it's completely different Totally different, yeah. But like, if you dropped any of those guys down in a chamber group, they That's would know. <laughs> so That's it, true. It kind of goes both ways. That is true. I I do like. I I think a lot of classical musicians, they rely on on that that kind of safety net of having actual music in front of you, though. Mm. And I think. That's something else the show has really brought to me is is playing from memory. I'd never yeah. played from memory before I did the show. And it was so scary because, can imagine, yeah. you know, I'd always have sheet music in front of me in a recital or a chamber group setting or, you know, practicing. Why would I play without the notes? I just wouldn't. And, um, and they were saying, yeah, the whole thing's from memory. And I was like, oh, my goodness. It's mm. two hours of music and the music's hard. It's quick. Mm. You know, you've got move. You have to move around. I'd never been because the, the, the role is on stage. It's not like you're in a pit orchestra underneath. You are literally on stage the whole time. Yeah. There's stage directions. You have to move around. And it's brought like a completely new um, sort of way. I don't know. It's, 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 it's really expanded the way I think about performance and, and stage presence and all that stuff. It's really important, mm. um, especially when you're doing a classical recital. You're standing there. And there's not a lot of connection with you in the audience. No. So I actually do a lot of my performances from memory now. Yeah, I see what you mean. Yeah. So here's mm. another question. Like, how do you feel about the future of classical music? Like for the for your generation of musicians? Because I, I, I don't know that many I, I don't know that much about classical music. I'm not really in that world, although mm-hmm. I do enjoy it, but whenever I'm at the concert house or something, it seems like the average age is about seventy. Um, and there's just something about the music that I think makes it very hard to take it out of that like very uh, posh context and put it into a more casual context do you think like how do you see this going forward like do you think classical music needs to change in some way yes it's quite quite a big question (laughs) it was a big question no it's good I I know what you mean Um, I've never been one to go and sit and watch an orchestra I have I have done it. I like it. I have a really short attention span. And I mean, and I a, do... a, a, a symphony, like sitting down, listening yeah. to instrumental music for 40 minutes, it's, it's, it can be challenging, like. Yeah, and you know, it's, it's a shame because there's such high quality of performance going on, you know, music making, and people pay such close attention to details and things in that sort of scenario, and it kind of gets missed. You, you don't really... I mean, maybe some people do, but it's lost on me slightly. Mm. And I think especially, you know, if we're talking about recital performances, there there definitely needs 
you know, change and you need to adapt to the times for sure. I mean, so what's what's recital performances? So like, you know, if you're a soloist and you're playing with a pianist, you're mm-hmm. standing in behind a stand and you're doing a recital and it's two 45 minute sets and it's just you. And I think we've kind of gone past the time now where you're you don't need to um, uh, communicate well with audiences, you know, because you walk on, you take a bow, you play, you bow again, you walk off, you walk on. And it's kind of weird. It's yeah, weird. You, you, you just you do the moves like everyone. OK, now we stand up and clap. And like, yeah. Like, it's just, and then, so, you know, <laughs> oh, do we bow again? OK, yeah, let's yeah. bow, you know, and it's just. Yeah. What's bit... up? With, what's up with the bowing? It's like again and again and again. I know. And, you know, <laughs> if you do a really good performance, fair enough, take two, but don't yeah, do any more. <laughs> yeah, unless it seems to be like just, uh, I don't know. But it's, it's tradition, I get it. That's just how it it's is. been done for... Yeah, but I think I think people need to, yeah, kind of get with the times a bit more. And I think that's what social media is doing, to be fair, you know, especially over this time. Um, and with what I'm trying to do with the challenge, you know, we're putting new modern music out there with a new way of performing it and practicing it with the tracks, putting informal videos up there, you know, people are less afraid of making mistakes in front of people now, which I think is really important too, because mistakes yeah. aren't necessarily bad. They yeah. are, they, they build you as a musician and, you know, shape your kind of musical character, if you like. And yeah, I think, I think it needs, it does need to change. It needs some sort of, a better level of interaction between audience and performer. Yeah, I think but, that's key. Yeah. yeah, without without taking away the quality or making mm. it a gimmick or cheesy. Do you know what I mean? It's a fine line. Oh, it's a very fine line because it seems to me what a lot of classical music- musicians, especially on Instagram, are doing is they're playing pop songs with mm. like classical sound, like a lot of lots of vibrato and, and things like yeah. that. Which I, I I don't know. I don't see exactly where that how that moves things in any direction. It, it doesn't, in my opinion. <laughs> so, uh, well, it's, it's just music in the end, but yeah, I'm curious to see anyway, like where it goes, because at some point you need to recruit a new audience because the people who are currently at the concert halls, they're gone in, in, in a few years. So uh... <laughs> Two decades. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so. No, I know what you mean. I think, yeah, I think, don't get me wrong, being... Being a one specific type of musician is great if you're excelling in your area and people love it and all sorts. But I do think being um, adaptable and being able to play in, in various different styles and I don't know. I just think why why would you limit yourself? You know why don't you just open yourself up to all these possibilities and and absorb as much information as you can and mm. you know like I also think. A lot, a lot of classical musicians kind of compromise themselves um, by playing, you know, like uh, the standard classical pieces of music that everyone would know, right? And mm. I think that's okay, but I think you do need to hold on to your um, your uh, the artist within yourself and not just do what you think people will want to hear. Make what you want to give people something mm. that is appealing that's the challenge really is is making people listen to your voice rather than i'll just play this because people know it do you know do you know what i mean yeah exactly yeah that's that's good advice mm. uh, <laughs> in a in a rambly way <laughs> yeah, well, yeah might might be a good note to end on actually yeah um sure. but uh yeah like if people want to learn more about you where is the best way to to do that where um is the best definitely way? Yeah. 
Sorry, excuse <laughs> my English. My Instagram. Um, I keep that pretty up to date. Um, and there's Facebook, and I'm building a better website. I've taken my old one down um, at the minute, so all information will be all over there. I'm quite active on social media, so yeah, <laughs> there's yeah, always something I, I, going on. I think your Instagram is brilliant. So, oh, thank you I, very much. So, uh, yeah, thanks for coming on the show. I really no uh, enjoyed the chat. Me. Oh, no, no worries. And, good uh, let's hope you get back on the road with uh, the show soon. Yeah, fingers crossed. <laughs> <laughs> okay, take care. Yeah, you too. Thank you. Okay, so I hope you enjoyed this 10th episode of the show. As always, you can find additional information and resources on the show website, thefolkmusicpodcast.com. Um, and you can also follow the show on social media. We're at Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. So hope to see you there as well. Now, this show has truly been a great journey for me, and uh, I'm really excited to see uh, where it might take us in the future. So, thanks for listening. Uh, really appreciate it. And I'll see you back here next week for another episode of the Folk Music Podcast. Take care.